Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Teacher's Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Maxine McFarlane, a Jamaican educator living in the United States of America, and I'm a nurturer of minds and hearts. I have been really enjoying the Inspiring Educators series so far, and I hope you are too. If you missed episodes 33 and 34 with Yolanda Thorne, a school counselor from North Carolina, here in the United States, please go back and check them out. Her amazing journey is one of resilience and encouragement that will leave you filled with hope. This week, I am connecting with someone across the globe on the continent of Africa. I'm very excited to welcome and introduce today's guest, an inspiring educator from South Africa. Nikita Bowers is a 20-something-year-old teacher from the colorful township of Eldorado Park in Johannesburg. Although she started her career in a completely different field, she could not deny her calling to be a teacher. She completed a postgraduate certificate in education, majoring in English and life orientation. She's currently in her fourth year of teaching. Prior to her certification in education, she completed her undergraduate degree in organizational psychology and South African Sign Language, the former of which left her completely unfulfilled. Outside of the classroom, she's a part-time wedding and events photographer. Nikita is also passionate about providing her learners with the tools needed to navigate their way through a world outside of the classroom. Whether academically strong or not, she strives to teach her learners that through perseverance and an unwavering belief in themselves, they can become and achieve anything they dream of becoming and achieving. Passionate teaching is what we do. The joy of learning brings the light too. For parents and teachers everywhere, let's show our children how much we care. Nikita, welcome to the Teacher's Tribe podcast. It is a pleasure to have you as my special guest this week. Thank you, Maxine. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, let's let's just check in quickly. How are things over there in South Africa right now? How are things going um, in your area? I know we're still going through the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. I just want to touch base with you on that first. No, same this side. I think we're also still trying to, you know, navigate. It's still new to all of us. We're also still, um, you know, suffering the aftermath of, you know, this pandemic. It's affected everyone in terms of schooling, in terms of education. We're not at school every day. Our learners aren't at school every day, so we don't have a 50% contact time with our learners. And it's really, it's really affecting them. Yeah. Can you describe to me um, what your structure is like right now in terms of your learners engaging? Are they virtual? Are they face-to-face? Tell me a little bit more about that. 
Okay, so currently they're all on from grades 1 to grade 12. I obviously teach high school and from grade 8 to grade 12 at my school, they're all on a rotational basis. So they come every second day. And yeah, so we have, we have a gender split at my school. So the girls come on one day and the boys come on the other day. And when, on, the, on the day that they are at home, they need to do remote learning, what we call remote learning. And that's on their own. That's without any teacher supervision, most of the time without any parent supervision. And so most of the time when they have to come back to the classroom, work's not done. They struggle at home working on their own because for years they did not need to, you know, work on their own. And with this 50% contact time, you still need to cover 100% of the curriculum. Yeah, the expectations are still the same. Yes, exactly that. So the learners aren't really coping, especially our, I teach grade 11 and 12 and our grade 12s in particular, they're really not coping. And that's unfortunate because this is their final year before they leave high school. Exactly. Wow. It's difficult all around the world. This is just an unprecedented school year and we just have to hang on in there and give it our best. So let's talk a little bit about your background, Nikita. What was education for you like as a student when you were a student yourself? And did you go, did you, were you educated in the South African education system? Tell me some more about that. I was, yes. Um, So I went to a private school from grades one to seven and um, that's my primary school and most of my schooling um, career is a bit of a blur a lot of it I don't remember and a lot of it wasn't really meaningful you know and I think I think that's one of the problems with our system with our curriculum you know that the the content isn't meaningful and teachers also battle to make it meaningful f- for the learners um, teaching, from what I remember, was also really teacher-centered, you know, yeah. so there's really not much space for, for the learner to grow, for the learner to thrive in the classroom in such an environment. So I don't really remember much of my primary school, much of my high school. High school, I was in a government school. That's a public school, a state-owned school. And the same, you know, that was obviously a larger classroom, so difficult for teachers to control. and for the most part, like I said, I didn't really enjoy high school, both primary and high school, actually. When you talk about the curriculum, I'm think- I was thinking back to maybe when my parents were in school and we were under the British system. So mm-hmm. they were learning about sleet and snow, and that's something that we don't experience in the tropics. Was it, in your case, the, the curriculum not applicable to your own life experiences in South Africa or what caused a disconnect do you think definitely definitely and I think that's still the case today Maxine you know the curriculum is still not South African centered or South African based it's still you know most of our curriculum most of what we have to teach is still largely influenced or largely western influenced or westernized you know and learners battle to they battle to relate and yes, so I think that that is one of the biggest problems, you know. And secondly, I think, I'm not too sure if it's across the world, but I think most of my teachers were quite old and so they still have their own way way of teaching. And it's, it's for the most part, it's not really student-centered. You know, they believe that they need to do all the talking, all the teaching, and you just need to consume, consume, consume. And I don't believe that learners learn like that. 
You know, we need to allow learners to give. We need to allow learners to produce in the classroom. I wasn't allowed that. I don't think we were allowed that much, you know. And today, like I said, even from the curriculum that guides my teaching, it doesn't really make room for that in the classroom. And you as the educator, you really need to be innovative and make a way for, you know, your learners to bring their bit to to the classroom, to contribute to the classroom. Oh, yes. I remember the, the chalk and talk method where the teacher is the fount <laughs> of knowledge <laughs> and, exactly. and you should just soak it up. Right. Yeah. But now it's good to see the shift, especially here in the U.S. I can see more hands on, more student led type, even though we're still bound by a curriculum, there's still scope for them to do like project based learning type mm -hmm. of things here. So that's, I can totally connect and relate to what you're talking about. Describe the education system in South Africa for me a bit, because I know like in Jamaica, we have the grades and primary school. Tell me what your different levels of education are like in terms of grade level and what the structure is like. Um, oh. So we have preschool and that's, um, so we have creche, and I think for you guys, I'm not too sure that's kindergarten, but we have creche and that's anywhere from between the ages of one to four years old. And then we have preschool that's for between five and six year olds. And then we have primary school and primary school that's from grades one to seven. And that's normally from ages six to 12 or 13. And then we have high school and high school would be from ages 13, 14 to about 18, and that's from grades eight to, to 12. Okay, so I, yeah. that's, that's a totally different shift because in our Jamaican system, our primary school goes up to grade six, and then okay. high school starts from seven to 12. And here in the US, we, they keep the middle grades together. So grades six, seven, and eight are in middle school, and then, um, ninth grade is where high school begins. So it's kind of good to see the difference in the education structure there. And you are in the upper end of the high school years, right? Yes, yes, I am. I'm, when, I'm in what we call the FET phase. So that's grades 10 to 11. And the FET phase, that's called further education and training. And yeah, so that's where I'm based. Okay. All right. So it's interesting because I'm reflecting on what you shared about your own experience as a student. And now you're a teacher. Why teaching? Tell me a bit about that, that journey into teaching. So I think from grade one or actually in grade one, I'll never forget my grade one teacher. And I, I can't tell you what it is about my grade one teacher. But what I do know is that I remember feeling like, you know, in that class, I felt like I belonged. And in that class, I always wanted to imitate what she had done in the classroom. So I was always interested in, you know, what we call in grade one, taking out the talkers. Uh, you know, it's something that really sticks, <laughs> sticks with me. I remember she'd always also choose me to take out the talkers. And I think ever since then, I always, you know, it was, it was something that I, I wanted to do. But as I grew and as I went to high school, as I went to obviously university, it was not my first choice. I did not go into teaching at first. And I think because we know the stereotypes associated with teaching, it's normally we know that if you're a teacher, it's probably because you could not do anything else or get into anywhere, anything else in university, you know. They say, what's the quote again? They say, those who can do, those who can teach, which is such an offensive expression yeah. but I've heard that so many times yeah. yes exactly you know yeah and I was you know my grades 
coming out of grade 12 out of high school were quite good and I also received a bursary so I know many would ask you know why would you go into teaching if you could do anything and I then went into I did psychology so I did my undergraduate in psychology and I also chose my second elective was South African Sign Language and I remember very distinctly in my second year of my degree at, at, and my, for my for sign language, we went on a school trip. We did a school visit to one of the schools for the deaf in Johannesburg. And, you know, I, I remember that day. I remember interacting with the learners. It was also at a high school. And I remember walking into to the classroom and the learners, their faces just lit up when they saw all of us, you know, whether it was because we were just different faces, whether I'm not too sure what it was, but you know, I quite like that feeling. And there was quite a bit of a communication or language barrier between because we obviously still new signers and it was difficult to communicate to them, but you know, we made it work and they really appreciated the fact that we tried and that someone outside of the school was only their teachers and their peers, you know, was trying to learn their language and was trying to communicate to them in their language. And it was after that experience where I decided that, you know, this is this is my calling. This is where I need to be. So I'd initially planned on teaching in a school for the deaf. Wow. It's interesting. You said two things that kind of struck me. Um, yeah. when, you, when you reflected on your grade one experience and how that teacher made you feel, you know, this, the, the, the saying that you forget what people say, but you won't forget how it, they made you Thank feel. You. And mm -hmm. that's and that's the same thing I see repeating itself many years later when you went into that deaf school, you still remember that feeling. So it's it's a lot more than the curriculum, as we were saying earlier, because the, the social emotional side is also important. And sometimes that's the tool that we use to even move them along in terms of their what they're covering in, in the curriculum. So that's really very interesting. So you're at the deaf school, you're thinking that you're going to be engaged in teaching deaf learners. Is that what where your definitely. mind was at the time? Definitely, definitely. And so I completed my undergraduate degree and I then completed my postgraduate certificate in education. And um, the plan was to complete it in South African Sign Language and um, life orientation. But then I did my teaching tracks at a school for the deaf. And um, I remember speaking to a teacher and she was giving me some advice and she says, you know what, with your degree in South African Sign Language and a certificate in education, you're, you're able to teach in a school for the deaf, in any school for the deaf. So she says to me, you know, why not take on another subject? So why not take on English? You know, she was like, take on, because I also, I did English up to second year. Um, in my undergraduate degree. So she says, why not pick up on the on English and life orientation? And she says, just in case you don't get into a school for the deaf, you can always teach English or life orientation in a mainstream school. And I'm still young. I really, you know, you just listen and sometimes you take in the advice and I took in the advice. I then went back to varsity and I changed my elective. I changed from South African Sign Language to English. And so for my postgraduate certificate in education, I picked up, like I said, English and life orientation. And um, once I graduated, then I just couldn't find a post in the school for the deaf. So I spent mm -hmm. three months at home. We only have in Johannesburg, in my area, we only have three schools for the deaf. 
so you now went to and fro these three back and forth between the three schools looking for a job for three months and you know unfortunately there was no vacant post and so that so that um shift in your in your um, postgraduate studies turned out to be a good thing because it opened more opportunities rather than being limited to those three exactly exactly that maxine exactly and i remembered you know i remember that teacher during my practice who told me you know go back and rather take on another subject take on english you know so you know with english and with life orientation i was able to apply then at mainstream schools and so i applied to mainstream schools and you know within i think a few weeks i I managed to secure a post at this at a primary school actually. Oh. <laughs> actually. My current school, but I was actually at a primary school for three months and I actually taught English and maths. <laughs> Don't ask me <laughs> you know why maths, but that is obviously what the post offered. And I must be honest, I was not coping with the primary school kids. You need patience for them. And <laughs> you know another level of patience and so I lasted for three months there but also because it was an SGB what we call the school governing body position and they could not offer me what I could get at a state-owned school so I obviously needed to secure I wanted to secure a position or a teaching post in a state-owned school and we obviously have our break in March April and during that break I was offered a job at my current school okay so that uh, that's how I landed up there and um, I've been there ever since and I'm currently I'm la- I teach English and I'm I'm loving it I'm, I'm really loving it I'm enjoying it and um, yeah I'm not too sure if I'll, I'm not too sure when or if I would go back to deaf education I'm, I'm not too sure it's funny how each person has his or her own calling because you you know you think of your primary school experience and realize quickly that that wasn't for you and I imagine myself maybe teaching middle school age kids and that would not be for me either <laughs> so <laughs> um high school maybe but I think I, I stick to my primary years they still love their yeah. teacher and they still are more prone to to listen but I think each of us have our own gifts and we know what we can contribute yeah so um this this idea that you just shared about the advice the good advice it turned out to be from this was it a professor or somebody in your program yeah it was just my mentor at the school okay so that's where I was going next because I was wondering about mentorship because I can see that there was some level of mentorship going on in your education experience while you were doing your postgraduate but how is it for you now as a relatively new teacher what are you having that same system of support in terms of mentorship um honestly not at all you know not not at all I don't think we um we don't really have such a thing as mentors in my school, I'm not too sure in other schools, probably in private schools, but um, in government schools, you do have your head of department, your HOD. And at my school, we don't have an HOD for English. So I had one for about a year and she resigned and she went to a private school. And ever since I've been on my own, I've just been going and learning and yes, learning as I go. <laughs> 
Well, I really admire the fact that you're still very passionate and loving it amidst those challenges because I'm sure it, it hasn't been easy. In our system, I know for the first three years as a new teacher, you're referred to as a BT, like a beginning teacher. You have a mentor mm -hmm. that's assigned to you and you, you know, you meet frequently with your mentors and get that support. So I can just, well, you know, the beautiful thing about teaching and living in like a global community now we have opportunities to seek mentorship elsewhere i know social media has helped a lot with that so people will get online and find somebody in another part of the country or another part of the world and they develop these virtual relationships so Definitely. opportunities are still out there but it's i think it's even more powerful to have a mentor right there in your area yeah because that person can relate to your system you know, they're familiar with your curriculum, your education system, and even better if it's somebody in your department, as you were describing, to have yes. somebody else, yeah, to work with. What I have done was, at my school we had, so we had a, because our HOD had resigned, we had someone fill her post for about three months, and um, I'll never forget her, she, I'm still in contact, close contact with her, actually, she was an amazing teacher, and I learned so much from her in the three months that she was at the school. And so last year, last year is my first year teaching grade 12, actually. And it's not easy teaching, you know, the final grade without any mentorship, like you said. So I was in contact with her quite often. I remember, I think I was only teaching for a month, was a month into teaching grade 12. And I called and I said, you know what, we need to have a meeting, please. We need to, can you meet me at the restaurant? And, you know, she agreed and, um, we met up for coffee and I said, you know, this is how I'm doing this. This is how I teach the novel. Is this right? Is this wrong? You know, what can I do differently? What And so she's really helped me through a lot of, um, uh, yeah, last year especially. My HOD as well, she's always availed herself to help me. She's not, she hasn't been there at the school anymore, but I can always just pop her an email and, you know, say, ma'am, um, I'm struggling with this, you know, this concept, how do I deliver this concept? And she'd always, you know, she's always willing to help with exam papers as well, assessments as well. She's helped me. So um, definitely I, I, I have been alone, but I also, I haven't been alone. You right. know, I have to give credit to those two supported me throughout. Well, kudos to you, Nikita, because you created your own mentorship program informally. And sometimes those are even more um, effective in my view, because you know what you need. You see the people who are doing the things that you aspire to do and you can reach out to them and get that support. So that might be the start of something. Um, sometimes the informal structure proves to be more beneficial than even mm -hmm. the formal one. And the good thing, another good thing is you're not suffering in silence. You'd recognize that it's a challenge and you need some support. <laughs> Sometimes we suffer in silence and then we wait until it's too late and we're overwhelmed and we're burned out and then it's too no, late. I think it is we just suffer. You know, if I were to just suffer in silence, it would definitely be detrimental to the learners. So they have to reach out. Yeah, I remember when we were talking briefly several weeks ago, you mentioned about your passion for getting your learners ready for the outside world when we're talking about your 12th graders that's such a yeah. critical age such a critical age and i'm curious to to find out how do you build those relationships with those students at such at that critical age that they're at 
to be honest, I don't think I've mastered that one yet, the, the building relationships with the learners. And I think that's also largely influenced by the school I'm currently at. And especially we're dealing with these learners. For myself, I'm young and not much older than what my learners are. You know, but so that might be, some... but that, Nikita, that, sorry to interrupt. That might be an asset rather than a liability because you're not so far removed from where they currently are. Somebody who, who has maybe 20 years teaching experience, they will scoff at to say, well, miss, you don't understand what I'm going through, but you being not so far removed, they might be more open and receptive to someone like you. What do you think about that? Definitely. And that's, that's something I've learned in my, I think over the past year and especially during the lockdown. So like I said before that, it was more of a liability. It was more of a, a challenge for me. I saw it as a challenge and I always needed to put up a wall when I teach. Like, you know, I'm the teacher and, you know, please you, you do not do not overstep boundaries and, you know, we cannot be friends. And that was that was definitely largely influenced by the school I'm at. You know, that that's the culture of the school and it's really teachers and learners. And over the past year, and like I said, especially post-COVID, you know, when we returned to school, it was just it was just teachers and grade 12. They were the first two to return to school. And, you know, having it just be us in the school, it was very difficult to isolate yourself. And I think at that point, I learned that these learners really, they need someone more than just a teacher now. I needed to step up and be that. And I became that for them by just listening to them and listening to what they'd been through during lockdown, stuck at home with their families. And it was only from last year, Maxine, that I started really building relationships with my learners. Mm -hmm. I think uh, from my first two years of teaching, you know, once I taught a grade and once I taught a group of learners, at the end of the year, they just leave my classroom and it would be that, it would be the end of it. And you just last... made me, you just made me realize that's something that I not really take for granted, but I have the benefit of watching my students grow because I get yeah. them in, I'm currently in second grade and I can watch them walking down the hall next year, going to third, fourth, fifth. Now at the school that I'm in, my first set of students are in fifth grade. So they're getting ready to go off to middle school. And, you know, I'm seeing them in the hallway sometimes in the cafeteria, still watching them, you know, grow through. And oh. now they're going to be moving on to another school. So I understand what you're saying. It's, it's like such a finality when they leave you. Yes, but I think what, what really changed for me last and like I said, when I started building more of a relationship with my learners, um, you know, t at this point, they still message me and, you know, ma'am, how are you, ma'am? I'm doing this, ma'am. These were my results, ma'am. Thank you. And um, this year and last year is the first two years that I've actually gotten that from my learners. So I think that's really, um, it's really motivated me a lot this year, you know, having that feedback from my learners that I never had before. Mm -hmm. And I think merely because I failed to build those relationships with my learners, you know, and um, I'm learning to be a lot more open and I'm learning to show them who Ms. Bowers is outside of the classroom, that I'm not just a teacher, but I'm also human outside of the classroom. And I never really showed that to my learners before, you know, and they're actually, like you said, you... I'm not that far off and it, it could be in terms of age and it could be used as an advantage because now they just for a simple example, I used to, I used to dance, you know, in my, throughout my high school, yeah, schooling days, I used to, I used to do ballet and contemporary and it was only this year that 
my learners just so happened to find out that I was a dancer before, you know, and they, they, they were so interested, you know, they just wanted to know more about what I used to do, you know, why I love da- dancing and one was, she's a hip hop dancer and she recently said, ma'am, you know what, I'd like to show you some of my moves one day. That for me just, yeah, it's, I'm really enjoying showing them more of who I am, you know, and that's something I failed to do in my first two years of teaching. Yeah, and I think building those relationships and making those meaningful connections is what yes. is causing you to make a big difference in those learners' lives. That is really impactful. As you're thinking of reflecting on these last two years where those relationship pieces have been coming stronger, how do you see that making a difference in their lives, maybe on a social-emotional level? Um, you know their backgrounds, you know, without divulging any private mm-hmm. details. Uh, what is that like and how do you think that what you're doing in the classroom is supporting those learners in that way? I think I see that they're starting to feel like they belong. You know, they're starting to feel a lot more at home in my classroom. That's the one thing I, I can say that's definitely changed. They're definitely starting to feel like I can see that they're feeling a lot more at home, they're feeling a lot more comfortable, they a lot more open, they can share a lot more. And with me sharing more, they're able to, to share more nice. in the classroom. I know for many of them, they don't get that at home. That's I was just going to ask you about that too, as you were talking culturally, what are some of the things that... Um, you know, like I'm reflecting on growing up in a in another country too, and for a long time, children were seen and not heard. And, mm-hmm. you know, the strong line of demarcation that you were referring to earlier, where this is the teacher. And of course, respect is expected, but there is just, you know, people, students would maybe think that, okay, you're a teacher. So if they see you on the streets, they're still yeah. seeing you in, a, in, in that same light. Yes. But how does culture and um, your cultural practices there impact those things and how are you facilitating the needs of those learners by what you're doing in those relationship building scenarios so for the most part our learners do come from disadvantaged backgrounds you know most of them last year actually had a learner coming to me and because she wasn't working quite consistently at home and I in class I was I was not happy with her you know, and I expressed that. And she actually came to me after the lesson and she says, you know what, ma'am, at home, there's there's no one to help me and I'm struggling. And she says, I asked her, you know, I was like, where is, I'll, I'll never forget this conversation. I asked her, where is your mother? You know, where is your parent at home, your father? And she says, ma'am, my parents have split. And if my mom's not at work, she's out with her friends, you know, so okay. most of the time, alone and I'm left alone to look after my little sister you know so that's actually many of my learners narratives there and that's a 12th grader you're like a 12 11 12th grader yes yes that was a 12th grader and that was just shortly after we came back from the lockdown so it was only the grade 12s at school and you know like I was saying that's the narrative for many of many of my learners many of them have come from broken homes many of them come from like I said disadvantaged backgrounds where parents aren't present and in cases where their parents are or their guardians are present they're mostly having to work 
they're mostly having to provide, especially because they're, you know, single-led or single-parent households and they need to provide for, for their children. So That's the priority, know, yes. Yeah, the priority yeah. is just to meet their basic needs. Exactly. So you'd find that, you know, my 11th and 12th graders are, you know, having to also step up as a parent to their younger siblings in, in the household. So it really, really takes, they really, really take strain. I think for me, it's really about giving my learners a voice in the classroom. And this is where I get to actually learn many of their stories. And I, it's not just, okay, let's talk about what's happening at your home. It's it's more about, you know, this is the lesson. We're dealing with this particular character. We're dealing with this father figure. What do you think about this father figure? You know, do you envision yourself following in this character's footsteps what would you change about this character and somehow in hearing what they have to say that obviously bring in their own experiences at home you know and that's how I get to learn what's happening at home and that's also how they then get to express themselves you know and sometimes that's really all that they they need you know, because they don't get that at home. They don't get that opportunity at home to express how they feel, to express themselves, to talk. And to feel um, like somebody is hearing them, even if you're not solving their problem, but they, they're being heard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And another thing that really, you know, strikes me, and when we have these kind of lessons, it's obviously not every lesson that pans out this way, but when we do have these lessons, for me, it's really amazing how their classmates those who come from more advantaged backgrounds are able to empathize and, you know, really able to, they don't, one would think that they would actually judge and that they would, you know, mock them or, but it's one thing that really struck me is that it's not the case. You know, there, it becomes, you know, a support group for a little moment where we all listening to each other. So there's that ripple effect because you're providing that safe space and that support on a student teacher level but then their peers get to jump in and widen that that network for them. And the, and the good thing is they can relate to because some of them are from similar backgrounds going through similar experiences. Exactly. Yeah, that is great. That is great. So you are making a difference there. You may feel like these are my beginning years and I may not be somebody who can mentor somebody else, but you are writing your own story now. And as you're going through it, that will be something that you can later on share with somebody in maybe another five years who is a beginning teacher. And you will have so much more to give because you have walked it and you've successfully gone yeah. through the experience. So yes, that is good. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> when you're going through it you don't see it that way but once you get on the <laughs> other side and you look back you will see that you are making a difference yeah those learners are are really lucky to have you advocating for them and supporting them in that way thank so, you yeah so I, I i recognize to nikita that you're not only a teacher as as you're now sharing with the with the kids but you have other interests i was kind of curious too i forgot to ask this earlier how are you using your your training in sign language? Are you still using that in any way? Not at all. Not most of it has actually been lost. <laughs> Especially because, you know, once I got into teaching, it was really a bit of an adjustment for me. So I stopped socializing outside of, you know, my job. And I remember in my third year and also, when I was unemployed, I spent quite a bit of time with, I made a few friends um, from the deaf community. So I would still 
you know, meet up with them and chat to them. But ever since I've been teaching, it's really been a lot difficult. I do still have a few check up on me. I don't even check up on them, which is so wrong. But they would message me and like, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? You know, and I'd respond and just end there. But um, most of my actual signing skills have been lost. Yeah, it's definitely a skill that you have to keep on building and keep on refining. And if you're not engaged in it, you definitely do. From what I feel, you lose it. Yeah, so. yeah. If you don't use it, you lose it. But but you know, you that might be something else you take on down the road. I know you have a lot on your plate right now, but you might find out that some of your learners are interested, and you could start a signing club or you know something just to keep your skills going definitely. and still engage others. Definitely. That's a good idea, actually, starting the signing club at my school. I think they'd love it. <laughs> it yeah. was quite fascinating to hear that I, I know a bit of sign language. And they'll ask me, ma'am, how do you say hello in sign language? How do you say this in sign language? So I think that would be that would be nice to do. Yeah. Teach them a word of the day and or <laughs> teach them a word of the day. Just infuse it in there. Yeah. It might be it might be a word from your lesson, you know, yeah. and a way to integrate it. But I know teachers always have a lot of work. And the more you think about things, the more work you put on your plate. But that could be another way to connect with them, as you have discovered on your own these past couple of years, that yeah. it's so important to have those relationships and connections going. Yeah, but I also realized that you're a photographer. Tell me more about that. How did um, that interest come about? That was just something I happened to fall into by. Um, so my dad actually owns the company. So he has his own um, photography company. He started this in 2011. Yeah, that's just something I happened to, you know, you needed a little help at certain events, at weddings and I would just learn as I go and um, yeah, and that's just how I got into photography. So now obviously I'm able to do events on my own. So I'd normally do um, metric dances or banquets as we call them. Yeah, that's actually about, I also do location shoots on my own, but the weddings, the big stuff, the parties, that's still my dad or Fulton, that's still, I'm still a bit new to that so but I still get a bit nervous with all the people around me and uh, that's the bigger yeah. business side but you it, have yeah. yeah well you know what if you want to plug it you know people will listen and they will hear and so if you want to <laughs> if you want to put your contacts out here this is your opportunity to say that if you want to tell me about your social media contacts or your photography business now is the time oh, to do it Definitely. Thank you. So um, we are the, called the Geek Squad Productions. Um, on Facebook, we are TGS Productions. On Instagram, we're also TGS um, Productions. And all our information will be on our page. All our pictures are there. Our work is on, the, on our Facebook, on our Instagram page. All right. Is your bio picture that I'm going to put on this podcast episode a product of TGS <laughs> Productions? Definitely. <laughs> Good. So that's that's a good one to to show what the quality of the work that you do. Yes, yes. Thank you. All right. Any final words for educators around the world, Nikita? Just be yourself. Just be more of yourself. Be authentic. Be you. And I think everything else will fall into place. That's something I've learned over, you know, my few years of teaching. Being more of myself in the classroom has it really helped me and helped me grow a lot more in the classroom. 
I'm glad you said that. And that will be something for another beginning teacher to understand that, yes, that is so yeah. important. All of us go in thinking, you know, you're thinking about what you learned in your training yes. and you're trying to, <laughs> to toe the line and check off all the rules and follow it. But I remember spending my first year, my first two years of teaching, you know, trying to imitate my HOD, trying to imitate teachers that I remember. But over the last two years, I've really started to be more of who I am and lose a lot of what I was trying to be. It's working for me. I, I feel like I'm growing a lot more by being more of myself in the classroom. Yeah, exactly. I always remembered my primary school teachers had a, what I called a presence. So they could walk into a classroom and everything would just, there would be that hush. And, yes. they, and, and, <laughs> and a lot of them had a strong voice, like audibly, you know, they could send their yes. voice around the room. And I always, I was always so insecure about my voice because I've never felt like I had that strong commanding voice and physically I didn't have that presence because yes. I was you know I'm short and I have a smaller frame and I was always so conscious about that and felt like I would be less than because I don't have those skills that I see all these um, educators that I admire possessing but I realized just like you Nikita that even with my quiet voice, I could still maintain a presence. And once I built those relationships and made those connections, the students would respond. Not, and the good thing is, I'm happy in, retro, in, in hindsight, now that I'm thinking about it. I think a lot of times those educators that I looked at and wanted to be like, the students responded out of fear. Yes, yes. And I certainly don't want to be that oh, educator. Yeah. We're onto something here. Just keep on doing what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Maxine. Thank you. Sure. So before we wrap up, Nikita, I always have these three questions that I like to ask my guests. Um, mm -hmm. just, just to see a little more into your world. What are you passionate about? I know you're already passionate about teaching and I got a hint of um, your, your past passions with signing and so on. But in this moment, what are you passionate about? Definitely my spirituality, um, my religion. That's mm -hmm. definitely... And I'm very passionate about. Yes, that's what keeps me going. That's what makes me who I am, you know, and that's definitely something I'm very passionate about. Yeah, that's good because in these times and with the challenges we face all the time, you need something to keep you grounded. Yes, 100%. 100%. All right. Uh, what greatness do you bring to this world, Nikita? I'd say my authenticity being who I am, being, um, I'd like to think of myself as very nurturing and caring. And I think that's what I bring that's great to the world, that's great to the people around me. Mm. Yeah. Nowadays with greatness being seen as um, celebrity and being yeah, famous, no. the things that really, really matter are the things that you're talking about. And even in the celebrity lifestyle where you think they're not really being authentic, and you mm -hmm. find that when you, when you get down to the nitty gritty, it may seem like a glamorous life, but you are living so much more of a fulfilled life by just being mm -hmm. authentic. And, you know, and as a teacher, I think that's a beautiful trait to possess because your students can see through it. They know when you're being authentic and, oh, they <laughs> and they become dismissive, like, oh, 
No, I'm not into <laughs> into that. Sometimes I listen to my own children talk about their teachers. And it's amazing how, you know, just little things that they may say that a teacher does impact them. And they're like, wow, I can't believe this. You know, and it's, it's not a grand thing. It's not like they feel like this teacher is getting them to learn all these necessarily wonderful things, but just the impact that that teacher makes with the little yeah. things that seem insignificant to others. I, yeah. I, now that you're saying that, Maxine, um, you know, this has nothing to do with teaching and learning per se, but I absolutely love dressing up. I love dressing up for work. I love dressing up outside of work. Um, and that's something that my learners are always, they always look forward to seeing what Ms. Bowles is going to wear <laughs> And, you know, it's just who I am. It's been who I am for since primary school. I'd always just love putting different looks and outfits together. And it doesn't take much for me to, to do that. But for them, they're like, wow, wow. When I grow up, I really want to dress like you, Ms. Bars. Ms. Bars, do you thrift shop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and representation matters too, because I'm thinking, you know, like your learners, younger looking on, you never know how those little things um, impact them. I was watching the inauguration in the United States recently, and then all over social media, I saw these little black girls wearing their pearls because of Kamala Harris. And I'm saying it's so important for them to see somebody else who looks like them that they can aspire to be. And it might be just simple as what you're wearing. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So tell me now, Nikita, who or what inspires or motivates you as you're going through these challenging times? What keeps you motivated or who or what keeps you motivated? My mom. Definitely my mom, my family. But, you know, above all else, definitely my mom. She, she's been my rock. You know, I've watched her go through quite a bit of challenges for the first few years of my life it was just the two of us and mm -hmm. you know I've watched her grow through that and grow from that and she's always persevered you know and she's always come out stronger and she she definitely keeps me going she definitely keeps me motivated she's the one person I never ever want to disappoint and she's the one person I always um, strive and strive to do better for I can relate. I have one of those too. <laughs> oh, it has been lovely talking with you today, Nikita. There's so much to, to glean from it. And I'll spend some time reflecting on our conversation and know that your story, your experience will be an encouragement, not just for other beginning teachers, but all teachers around the world. Because, you know, when I think about the years of experience that I've had, now I'm learning it all over again because teachers like you who are inspiring the, the work that we're doing, you're bringing in fresh new ideas that I can just soak up and I can glean from in the same way that I did when I was a new teacher. So thank you for, for the, taking the time to talk with me today and for sharing with the world. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Talking with Nikita was another inspiring experience. It's wonderful to see a young, vibrant educator working to make a difference, even amidst challenges. I admire her determination and how she takes initiative to find the support that she needs to develop her teaching skills. She's aware of the importance of listening to wise counsel and is innovative enough to pivot along her journey to discover her important role as an educator. She's multifaceted and has found ways to use her own experiences 
to connect with her learners and build positive relationships with them. I hope that Nikita's experience will encourage other young educators around the world to continue to inspire their students too. I also hope that veteran educators will be more aware of the needs of others who are younger and newer to the profession. Until next time, walk good and one love. For the joy of learning, subscribe to the teacher's strike.